The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as a potential for discussions about other topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the person stating them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. Hello and welcome to the second Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Ed. In keeping with our last podcast in which we had two ryes, today we have two bourbons. And Ed is going to describe which bourbons we have. All right, we're going to have have, uh, Basil Hayden, which is a personal favorite of Scott and I. And uh, an interesting choice, I think, to many would be the Old Granddad Bonded 100 Proof. And we'll tell you why we have them. And uh, I don't feel like talking about whiskey right now. What's going on, Scott? You seem, Scott seems a little distracted today. You came a little with a little bit of an attitude. What's going on? Um, Something happened on the train home from work? <laughs> uh, no, actually. Um, in uh, Nobody molested you today? No, not today. No, that would be a good thing, actually. Well, that's probably inappropriate. Yeah, I'm not making fun of people who molested. No, start over. We're we're not, start over. No, start no, over. No, no, we're fine. We already started four times. <laughs> Such a lie. <laughs> Three times? Twice. Twice. Okay. Three times. <laughs> oh, God. So, in just researching podcasts in general, because, again, this is our second podcast, if you couldn't tell by the unprofessionalism that's been uh, happening already. But, but cuteness. We are adorable. Um, <laughs> the, uh, in researching it, I came upon an article who uh, the guy had listened to a podcast of two people who believe that the earth is flat. God and damn it. Yeah. And he was the, – the writer who was listening to this podcast was – he did make clear at the beginning that he does not believe the earth is flat. But he thought that the podcasters were so charismatic – that he was starting to believe in some of the things that they were saying. Like, oh, NASA would say that, you know, that kind of stuff. Which, if you believe that the Earth is flat, then you just have a fundamental misunderstanding of all science. Just because you go outside and you think (laughs) you can't see the curve of the Earth from where you're standing does not mean that the Earth is not curved. It's such an issue. I actually have met people that have told me that the earth is flat and that it's ringed by the ice. There's not really ice caps. It's just, it's so absurd that I should be used to it because I talk to adults who seem to be intelligent and then they say something and it could be about anything. It could be about politics. It could be about religion. It could be about crime. And it just makes me stop and go like, wow, like you seem like you're so educated. I know you're educated. You've gone to college. Do you just avoid learning? Is it like you pick and choose what you want to know? You know what it is? It's ignorance mixed with arrogance. Like they wow, don't so true. they don't know anything <laughs> about the subject, but they're so arrogant to think that only they actually do know the truth. And it's a vast conspiracy by governments and scientists and NASA. A conspiracy to do what? Let's say the Earth was flat. And NASA and the government and all scientists everywhere were saying that, no, no, it's round. For what purpose? Galileo said it. 
400 plus years ago, right? Like they ignore the fact that like boats can like sail around Antarctica, you know, because uh, they think Antarctica is a, an ice wall that's keeping all the oceans from falling off the flat earth. And if you ask them questions like, well, how does night and day work? Because if the sun is above, then the entire earth is in daylight. And if the sun goes beneath the flat earth, sun is round, by the way, like everything else in the universe. <laughs> we know the moon is round. We can see the moon is we sitting can see right the there. The moon is round. round. And Mars is round and so is Jupiter and Saturn. And, uh, you know. In other words, what he's saying is if you call Australia right now. I'm so angry. It's just so you know, it's nine o'clock in, at night our time right now while we're doing this uh, podcast. If we call Australia right now, it'll be good morning there. The sun's up in Australia right now, I would think, right? I would think so. It's got to be 12 hours ahead of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amsterdam is six hours ahead of us. So, if you call them and be like, hey, what is it? It's daylight. Well, that means that that they're in on it too. (laughs) Everybody in Australia is in on the flat earth conspiracy right now. It just never ends. It it doesn't. I mean, the classic thing was, which is how a lot of people discovered that the earth was round, was when ships would sail off into the distance, the bottoms of the ships would disappear below the horizon before the mast did. And vice versa, when one was coming towards you, the mass would appear first. Right. Now, that could only happen if the Earth was curved. Right. And Unless if it was flat, you would just see the ship sail into the distance until your eyesight couldn't see it anymore. It's right. people who don't want to look at any evidence, and I'll pack this one together with the flat Earth because it's just as bad, is the moon landings are fake. Oh. We never landed on the moon. Oh, for crying out loud. Now, that drives me crazy for a number of reasons. First of all, because the people who are saying it that we didn't land on the moon, they have absolutely no evidence that we did land on the moon. They just think it sounds good to say the government would probably lie about that. Some of them I've heard get it slightly scientific by saying there are no stars in the background mm-hmm. in any of the photos. Mm-hmm. But the reason why there's no stars in the background is because the foreground is so bright. But you can't even reason with them at that point because, real again, quick. it's ignorance and arrogance. Why are the planets round again? Can you tell us the scientific real quick? Gravity. Over a certain mass, the gravity will pull the material into the most efficient shape possible. And that most efficient shape is a sphere because from the center of a sphere, everything is equal in all directions. And to say that only Earth among all the planets and moons and other things of sufficient size are round but the Earth is a ludicrous proposition. And they, they can't even prove it. They just want to be right. Right. Well, most people don't realize that there wasn't just one moon landing. All right. We, there were three, we, four? No, there was actually more than that. I wish I could find it, but... <laughs> well, the Apollo mission, so was, a, was it right. 11 uh, was the first well, one? Well, 24 astronauts actually traveled to the moon. Three had made the trip twice, and 12, 12 different Americans have walked on the surface. Have they? Have they, Ed? Right. So, here's the funny part of that. So, like, the whole famous movie, what, what was it, Apollo 13, right? The movie with uh, Tom... Uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Where who, they didn't get there. Where they didn't get there. So... We actually faked a moon landing that failed. Right? <laughs> so that, that's how deeply they were in green. They spent millions of dollars to send a rocket to not go to the moon. Right. So right. people actually think there was only one moon landing and they think, oh, we faked it. Well, the reason you see the pictures of the first moon landing because it was a pretty big deal. It was the first. Yeah, it was 1969. It was... July. Yep, July 21st. They landed on the Sea of Tranquility. They were my heroes. I had a poster of the astronauts growing up when I was like 9, 10 years old. I, according to my mother, took my first steps on the very moment that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. I stood up and started walking. I was mm, 10 months. And so here... 
Here's the one piece of evidence that I'll give to anybody out there that still thinks, well, they could have faked it. We were in a huge race for space with the Soviet Union. It was a hot competition. They got to space first with Sputnik, and we battled to see who could outdo the other. The way I know that the moon landings were not faked, one simple point is that the Russians would never have let us say that we land on the moon if we didn't actually land on the moon. Yeah. That's probably the best. That's the best one. They hated the fact that we got to the moon. And if they have radar, they have telescopes, they watched us do all that. If we hadn't actually done it, they would have been like, bullshit, you didn't do it. And let me tell you something right now. England, they were watching. They're our friends, but you know your friend does something. You know, you'd be like, hey, man, you're my boy, but. You didn't dunk that you basketball. You did not dunk the basketball. <laughs> I, you're telling people you dunked? I watched it, bro. You didn't dunk. So if we did not get on the moon, they would have been like, you know you didn't get on the moon. Come on now. We're not letting you get away with that. So there's no evidence to support that we faked it at all. No 80-year-old, 90-year-old man was like, I was a camera tech. And there was nothing that's come out. And it's the same thing the flat earthers do. Yeah, yeah. Because that means NASA, all the astronauts, I mean, it all fits in. That's why I brought up because like that means that all the satellites that are orbiting our planet, taking pictures, Google Earth comes up, it brings the whole Earth up. You can flip it around and zoom right in on the Earth. It's like, it's crazy how much technology we have that they just continue to be ignorant. Like, they seek out and live in ignorance. It's unbelievable to me. And now, Basil Hayden. So, yeah. the yeah. Now, maybe we should talk about whiskey. That was our tangent. Yeah, one, well, well, one of them. Yeah, one of them. So, Basil Aiden, you know, we and Scott have a different journey to get to our whiskey heritage, if you will. I drank a lot of Jim Beam and Jack Daniels when I was in college and in my 20s because I really didn't know any better. I didn't have the budget for anything better. And uh, and, and I mixed, you know, Jim Beam is a delicious I, bourbon and ginger. I drank a lot of Labatt's. That tells you how poor I was in college. I had a Tower of Meisterbrow in my dorm room. Meisterbrow? Yeah, from the beer distributors in Pennsylvania. Wow. Once again, we're based in the outside of Philadelphia oh, in South Jersey. I forgot about Meisterbrow. In case you're wondering, we are based in Burlington County, right outside We're going to mention that every time. We're Jersey boys. Because we also want to put people onto some of the great places around here. True, right. If you're in the area. Menu, yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, if you're within a half hour from Barlton, Medford, mm-hmm. Cherry Hill area. Because good whiskey bars are not easy to find. And if we find a good one, We'll let you know where it is. I was in the whiskey lounge that uh, Scott and I belonged to this last night, and still haven't been there. Talking to me, like sorry, him. he's a member there. He just never gets over there, but <laughs> we will. We just joined it recently. It's a new. It's it just opened. Yeah, it's only been a couple of weeks. I'm being a little hard on myself, right? Yeah. But because um, I'm sad because I want to go. We we're going to go tonight, but then we knew the podcast would never happen, right? Because we would be <laughs> stuck over there. Because in our locker, we have a bottle of uh, Angels of Mirai, which is one of our favorites, and uh, Red Breast Ten Year, Twelve Year, Twelve Year, Oh, yeah. Twelve Year, which I'm not sure I've ever had. No, me, it's an Irish whiskey, right? right? Which is yeah. funny. And I was over there just last night, and somebody else has a locker, and I'm talking to them, and we're you know shooting the shit a little bit, and I try to like you know throw my whiskey penis on the table, and I go, <laughs> hey, I got a, a bottle of a uh, Red Breast Twelve Year in there. And I go, which locker is yours? He goes, oh, mine's a locker whatever. And I look over at it. He's got a 15-year red breast right in the front. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, shit. I felt like he put a bigger penis on the table. <laughs> a bigger whiskey penis. He, like, oh, did. I got a 15-year. Like, I didn't even know they made 15. He goes, yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, do. sorry. I only have a 12. And then he laughed. He goes, I win. And he actually said, I win. And I laughed. Right? <laughs> did he? Oh, yeah. that's awesome. And then we drank, that's funny. And then we drank more whiskey. Sure. That was, of that course. Was great. That is good. So, um, 
Anyway, what are we talking about? Well, started, How you got into it? Right, I started drinking Gentleman Jack. I thought I'd really made a step up in the world. Like, oh, I'm really fancy. And we kind of branched off into better stuff. We started looking like, hey, I have a couple of dollars in my pocket now. You know, I'm working. <laughs> Let me see what else is out there. And you bump into some people who are a little bit older. And everybody wanted me to be a scotch drinker. And they always said, oh, when you turn 35, you like scotch. And yeah, we're a little late to the 35 year. Maybe like 65 for us. Yeah, like maybe like maybe in my IV on my deathbed, I'm like, oh my God, McCallum. <laughs> So good. <laughs> but we did it's like a deathbed conversion for whatever reason, bourbon. So we went into bourbon first and it's more accessible. It's sweeter. I mean, it's, right. it, it's easier going down. Yeah. And uh, there's no question like, about that. Right. And like I said, we're talking about the rep We do like Irish whiskey, which I believe is a gateway whiskey to scotch, but we're not there yet. So Basil Hayden. Uh, it's been a favorite for a long time. And the first time I was exposed to it, I was out somewhere and we were drinking. I think somebody had a bottle of Baker's, which I'd never had before. And I, I don't remember if I cared for it or not. I've only had it that one night. I've never gone back to have it again. We probably should. But it's actually hard we to should, find. We should, because I'm not sure I've had Baker's or Booker's, right. my sister or brother. Right. Even. So what happened was right. on the Baker's bottle, there was a neck tag of four bourbons, Baker's, which I was drinking, Basil Hayden, Knob Creek, and Booker's. And they all were marketed as small batch bourbons. They were completely different with Basil Hayden being at the 80 proof and then Knob Creek being 100 proof. Baker's, I honestly don't remember what it was. I know it was eight, seven years. Knob Creek was nine years. Basil Hayden was eight. And I forget what Booker's was. Booker's was 121 to 130 proof. <laughs> I'm like, y'all don't even know. Like, what are you doing? That's insane. Like, and like, it's like a, yeah. almost like, like nitroglycerin. Like, it's so unstable. Yeah. Like, you have to ship it in hazardous material containers. Right. And Booker's is a great presentation piece to give to someone. It comes in that really nice box. box and the, yeah, yeah, it's great for the, the garage to put screws the, in and stuff. In the, it's got a little, a little slide thing. Yeah, it's a little slide thing, right. And so... This is a really long intro. To Basil Hayden, which is completely different than the other three. I, I didn't and even give mine yet. The other three is a... What? <laughs> he said I didn't even give mine yet. My intro to Basil Hayden. Oh, right. Yeah, that's fine. Right. So Basil Hayden is uh, completely different than the other three, Knob Creek, Bakers, and Bookers. And uh, Scott, tell us the difference in the mash content. Yeah. In researching this, I'm not really familiar with Bookers or Bakers. And Ed's going to open Yeah. Pour yourself another. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not re- familiar with Bookers or Bakers, but I am familiar with Knob Creek. Uh, and we'll have probably another sure. podcast. Knob Creek has a whole bunch that they've come up with. Yeah. Uh, in any case, Bookers, Bakers, and Knob Creek have the same mash bill, which is a low rye, high corn bourbon, whereas Basil Hayden is different. And it's a high rye bourbon, um, 27% for Basil Hayden and 13% for the other three. Right. It's a big difference. So how I came to Basil Hayden was a whiskey tasting pretty early on, maybe eight or nine years ago. And Basil Hayden won. I hadn't had it before. I did like it during the tasting and it became my go-to bourbon for a few years. But in researching this podcast, because we both, by coincidence, decided that we wanted to do Basil Hayden, we were texting each other. It's like, so yeah, well, which one what do you whiskey do you want to do? And I, you were like Basil Hayden. I was like, dude, that's what I was thinking. What's nice about a good drinkable bourbon is you don't leave it. It just becomes part of the family, you know? Well, Butch Reserve for many years was my favorite. Scotch was basil. So we drank a lot of that together. And basil is one of my favorites. But that's the fun we'll thing. We'll probably do a podcast on Woodford Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Woodford has a wonderful history and deserves to, to be explained. Their double oaked is excellent. They have a rye as well. Yeah. And, and the, the thing is, Basil Hayden started out by just the one signature bourbon, but now they have... Dark rye, which I think is... Is, is that the one that's finished in the port wine? Yes, yeah, very good. So, And Knob Creek has like a maple one, which is I still haven't got And they have a regular rye. 
dry and, and, a, and, and a knob a, creek that got to a single barrel. I actually had the maple recently because I just saw knob creek right and i was like okay i'll have some knob creek i didn't know it was the maple right What'd which i should have because i wasn't What'd paying attention when i started tasting i was like well, the, wow this like is different. gosh this is so sweet i mean almost like like immediately pancakes right, right. like what is going on here and then then i realized i was drinking the maple and i was like well uh of course, right. That's with the maple. Was it so, drinkable? It, was it? Nice? Oh, it was very drinkable, right. but it was a little too sweet. It's almost like a hoppy beer, right? Uh, a, a beer that's overly hopped. You're like, I'm good for one, right? And right, then you right. don't want another one. You want something else. So totally I had that. the Knob Creek. It was a little too sweet to drink two in a row, um, but it was fine. Uh, I was actually surprised that I was drinking it. Right, so, so in the research for the Basil Hayden, we found out. That uh, Basil Hayden uh, and the other three, Booker's, Baker's, and Knob Creek, all made by the Beam, Suntory, Jim Beam, that is. Right. Suntory Company. The Jim Beam family. We'll Jim Beam stick family. for that. And that, that it had surprised this, us a little bit. And previously mentioned that Basil Hayden had a different mash bill than the other three, but it has the same mash bill as Old Granddad. Mm, made, also made by the same distillery. Which was incredible to me because a long time ago, the first bourbon I ever had was Old Granddad. <laughs> and... It was terrible. Now, I wasn't a whiskey drinker back then. Right, this you had is no going palate. Back, you had no zero palate. I mean, my early 20s, uh, Seagram 7. Which is actually worse because – Yeah, Seagram 7 is – You had no palate, so it shouldn't yeah, have been that bad. that's true. But the significant thing that it did to me was it turned me off of bourbon for about a decade. Right, that he drank only daiquiris <laughs> and wine coolers. And wine coolers. <laughs> Sun Country wine cooler. One time I drank an entire one liter bottle of Sun Country wine cooler. An entire one liter bottle. Is that a real story? Yeah, it's a real story. In college, and I didn't have a hangover. I must have eaten three cheesesteaks before. I don't know. That's I don't know. Like a headache waiting to happen. Yeah, I don't know how. And it was like a dark one. It was like a purple. I don't know, purple Sun Country. <laughs> I don't know what they were made of. It was stupid. That's like the time I was at an open bar, and I was like, oh, I'll just drink Grand Meunier because it's the most expensive thing they had. Is that the orange one? Yeah, the yeah. orange liqueur is really good yeah. if you have one. When you have six of them, the headache the next day is epic. You like you never do it again. You learn a lesson. You seriously had six grandma guys. I, <laughs> I mean, it was over like two, two and a half hours. But I mean, I was just like just trying to gouge the money. I was in the mood, like, oh, what's most expensive? I'll have that. And uh, it tasted great doing it because there's there's fire. It's like an eighty proof thing, like Grand Marnier. It's not like Frangelic or something. But holy crap, man! The headache the next day was you don't forget that. Oh, so I forgot to mention that Basil Hayden and the other three Knob Creek Bakers Bookers all came out in '92. It was a great marketing push, which is where I saw the tag and, and got me into them. And it's interesting with Jim Beam is that they started to make bourbon according to their lore. As early as 1795. Now, that they can say whatever they want. There's no way to track that. Sounds good. The company that we know, the right. James B. Beam Distilling Company, really started up in 1935. And then, after 10 years later, they sold it to Harry Blum. This guy, Harry Blum, he bought the company like in 45. And in 68, he sold He to, sounds really boring. He sold to American- Harry Blum. Right. 1968, they sold to American Brands. And then in 87, it got purchased by another company called Natural Distillers. Hi, I'm Harry Blum. I'm <laughs> accountant. Apologies well, to all the accountants out there. Long story short. <laughs> and also people named Henry and or Blum. I'll just wait. When he gets like this, you just have to wait him out. <laughs> <laughs> just going to take a sip of some basil hazen real quick. Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's delicious. Are you ready? Well, no, okay, here, I mean, here's the point. Like, you know, there's a little bit of a sour face you put on when you hear that Jim Beam is actually owned by Beam Suntory, which is a subsidiary of Suntory Beverage, which is actually a Japanese company based in Chicago. So you're kind of like, oh my God, is it really? Conglomerates are just not fun. They're not sexy. They're not, there's no history to them. 
especially in a in the bourbon industry where the marketing is very old frontier americana centric right. and to be right. owned by a belgian or a japanese company is uh, kind of a big right. disappointment and to their credit the japanese have been making tremendous strides in whiskey though based on their geographical location they tend to put out whiskeys very similar to Scotland. They do. Because the climates, for, believe it or not, is very similar between the two. But they're starting to make very nice whiskeys in Japan. I haven't fallen in love with all of them. So it's Beam Suntry. They are the third largest producer of distilled beverages in the world behind Diageo and Panover Card. So it's a big company. Say Michters. 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 No, M. Michters. Michters. Okay, you okay. got it. So, that's because I can't sl- say that whiskey brand. That's a whole other what's, what's the other one you had a problem with? Oh, uh, Pappy Van Winkle. I had some bourbon, so I said Patty Van Winkle. <laughs> but it's Pappy Van Winkle. So, the point I'm trying to make, what shocked me when I was doing the research, not that a conglomerate had bought Jim Beam and owned it, but the fact that a member of the Jim Beam family has been a master distiller of the company since 1935 up until today. So even though they've sold the company as early as 1945 and again in 68 and it was sold again in 87, through this whole period of time, a member of the Jim Beam family is the master distiller, except for one period from 1998 to 2007, some guy named Jerry Dalton was the master distiller. But after 2007, up until today, Jim Beam family member, including as, you know, grandsons of the original uh, founder in 1935, great-grandchildren, all related to the original uh, master distiller, which was Joseph L. Beam. And while I'm on the distillery of it, a rival distillery, Heaven Hill, which produces Elijah Craig, which is one of our Mm. favorite bourbons to drink. We'll talk about that on another day, I'm sure. Uh, They also put out Evan Williams and their own name brand, uh, Heaven Hill Bourbon. They're also, throughout their entire history, have had a Beam family member as their distiller. So, if you want history for Basil Hayden, for Jim Beam, for Old Granddad, for Elijah Craig, the Beam family has been distilling spirits consistently since 1935 and possibly 1795. So, even though conglomerates have sunk their evil claws into our delicious bourbon... That doesn't necessarily mean that the bourbon itself is bad. Or that there's not actually history and love going into it. And and, and I'm sorry, basic white-label Jim Beam has been the backbone of this country for a long time. I won't sip it on the rocks. I won't. But I'll still throw a can of Canada Dry in there and call it a happy wedding. And speaking of weddings, old granddad is the king of the firehouse wedding, let's be honest. Talk about what you think of the 100 proof. So we discovered that they had the same mash bill. And then uh, there's an 80 proof expression of old granddad now. Which uh, used to be 86, by the way, until about five years ago, they dropped it down to 80. So same we, as Basil Hayden, which I find interesting. Right. So we briefly considered doing a test for both, but I've had old granddad. Like I said, it was my first bourbon and I didn't want to revisit it, but I was willing to revisit at a higher proof which is the 100 proof, which we have today. An interesting thing about the old granddad, the picture of the dude on the old granddad, old granddad himself, is actually Basil Hayden. (laughs) So we thought this would be a very interesting comparison to make. And I I don't know, what do you think? Like, we've had Basil Hayden many times. Yeah. And I had- Loving it right now. Previously to this particular glass, I had the uh, old granddad. It's a little darker, and it will be, because it's 100 proof versus 80 proof with the Basil Hayden. And it's a little thicker. 
again, because to get the barrel strength alcohol to a particular proof level, they just add water. So it's necessarily going to thin it out. In comparison, I'd say that Old Grandin is a little sweeter. Mm-hmm. The rye character doesn't come out as much as it does in the Basil Hayden right. to me. The Basil Hayden does have lighter expressions of the sugars like vanilla and caramel, uh, whereas the, the Old Grandad has maybe darker stuff like I taste a little bit of cherry. I'm not sure if you do. I like to read other reviews because um, I don't feel like my palate is very sophisticated, but sometimes <laughs> they just get ridiculous with their Absolutely. descriptions. I mean, cocoa powder, that's not a thing, is it? I uh, guess it is, but I can't taste cocoa powder in anything. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's like when I pr- smell. He's probably a flat earther. When I smell Basil Hayden, I definitely get a spiciness in my nose off it. Um, you can definitely taste the spice better in Basil Hayden than you can. Ta- and said, they're both. Uh, right. Remember, they're the same exact. It says orange Nashville. peel. It says lemon. I don't get any citrus. From Basil I don't get cit- at all. I don't get citrus either. I get vanilla, a, very definitely. Vanilla, caramel, corn. and corn. I definitely get yeah. a corn, a sweet yeah. corn flavor to it. Absolutely, I'm, I'm all in on that. I don't really taste cinnamon. They say I should. It says offset by a gentle cinnamon. I was reading one of the reviews. How gentle? Like to the point of not at all? <laughs> right, right. Like, like I imagined it. Like I imagined the world was flat. And it says a nice cinnamon pepper in this. Like I don't consider cinnamon peppery. Like to me, that's a different. Well, there's two kinds of cinnamon, right? There's cinnamon that's like the baking spice cinnamon. And then there's like a hot a like hot like paprika cinnamon. type cinnamon? No, like, like a. Um, I've never heard of that cinnamon. Uh, yeah, like red hots. You know, like oh, I know what you mean. All oh, like the candy, yeah, like candy. Oh, red hot, hot cinnamon, okay, like like okay. a big red gum. Or oh, like something. Fireball. Yes, like which Fireball. we will not be doing a podcast on. <laughs> if we do a Fireball podcast, we have sold out, right? And that means it's our one thousandth podcast. <laughs> um, Basil Hayden. Let's talk about it because we like to appeal to. People who are inexperienced drinkers like Scott and I. And once again, we've drank very expensive stuff. Like I just was drinking two nights ago. There's a bourbon company, High West, part of which actually is made from the NGP product we talked about in the first podcast. So High West has come on the scene with a lot of really good products. I mean, we've enjoyed it. I mean, the double rye nice. The prairie bourbon. I was getting it for $5 a drink at a local bar down the street from me. It was delicious. It's $32 a bottle in the store. It's they have one that's called Midwinter Nights Dram, and they only put out a couple thousand bottles a year, yeah, and they, you can't buy it, you can't order it. If you've bought enough of their product, whether you're a store or a bar- Is that the one we had in Atlantic City? Yes. Yeah. In the Iron Room in Atlantic City, right. if, if, once again, we're going to start giving shout-outs to whiskey places. The Iron Room in Atlantic City is a great whiskey bar. So if you're in Lang City and you, you just don't feel like drinking, you know, Jameson at the bar in the casinos. The thing about the Iron Room that was interesting is like they didn't have a menu of whiskeys. They said the menu is this dude behind the bar. Right. It was the bartender. Was I the wish I remember his name because he was amazing. And unlike other bars that are really pretty, like two bottles of each, he had like, like five feet of depth into his shelves. Yeah, he reached and his he, like whole he just arm. had hundreds of bottles mashed in there like a hoarder. And then he'd be like, well, what do you like? And let's say, I want something to blend. He'd go, all right, hold on. Yeah, he, he would stick his arm in there and he'd come out with something. He'd give you a choice uh, from what you described. He would give you three or four different ones you wanted right. to and, have. And my point being, it was $22 for a two-ounce pour of Midwinter's Night Dram. And it was delicious. And I enjoyed it. And they only have a half a bottle left. And that's it for the year. They don't get another bottle. They get one bottle for the year. And the person I was with ordered us another round without asking. I wanted a Manhattan. And they poured me another $22 drink of the Midwinter's Night Dram. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's okay. We'll just put back the bottle. I said, no, that's the world's greatest mistake ever. 
I'll just spend the extra $10 and get another delicious drink of the Midwinter's Night Dram. And I sat down and I drank it. It was even better than the first one, and I loved it. So I spent $44 on two drinks. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to do a comparison between the Midwinter's Night's Dram and the Angel's Envy Rye. That would be interesting if we could ever find a bottle to do that with. Uh, We could just order a glass of it. And we have our own, right? We have our own. own. Right. We'll have to do that at our whiskey lounge and we'll let you guys know how that goes. Yeah. So, um... I'm also Oh, so the point I'm trying to make is I spent $44 on two drinks and I loved them. And so absolutely go out and treat yourself if you want. But what we also try to talk about on this podcast is when you walk into the liquor store and you, it's, you know, you've, it's Friday, you got your payday, you're looking for what do you want to drink for the weekend? And that's where we're at with the Basil Hayden. It's a spectacular drink. It's a nice presentation bottle. Scott, describe the bottle for the people, please. So the bottle itself is very nondescript. However, it's absolutely identical to the old granddad bottle. Right, that, that that's another thing we noticed. Like the bottles themselves, just the glass bottle is exactly the same. Now, the old granddad has a traditional glue label on the front. It's orange with the visage of Basil Hayden on it. But the Basil Hayden's bottle has sort of like a paper vest almost that comes down over the neck like a recycled old-timey sort of paper. Around the center of it is a balsa wood belt. And on that, riveted into it, is a copper belt as well with the letters B and H and the ink on the paper as a barrel at the top. It says Basil Hayden's and a little bit about the history. Right. I'm going to read the history to you right now. It's when Basil Hayden Sr. began distilling his smooth bourbon here in 1796, Kentucky was but four years old and George Washington was president. Today... We make Basil Hayden's Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey using the same skill and care that made it favorite among American frontier settlers. So evidently, they're saying that there was a version of Basil Hayden that was drinkable in the Old West. And I have heard that. Yeah, in my research, that was borne out. So Basil Hayden was a real person, and he was creating high rye bourbon recipes as early as 1792, right, which is almost 200 years right. before the Jim Beam Company was created. Sorry, before the Basil Hayden's bourbon was Oh, released. yeah, because that's 1992 yeah. is when yes. this version was made. Yeah. Because James Beam began selling barrels of whiskey in 1795. If it's not obvious, I've had a few. Now, I remember watching the miniseries on HBO, Deadwood, when a character came in and ordered a Basil Hayden. Yes. And that would have been in the time period of 1876. So, Post-Civil War. Right. Yeah. And I'm assuming that if they did that, they had done their research, that there was at least some version of Basil Hayden available in the Old West. Probably not the same recipe, but it makes it fun. See, that's a fun story to tell. Yeah. And it makes I, you feel like, hey, am I drinking the same thing that people in two Right, because it, it doesn't exactly say that it's the same recipe, mm-hmm. but it does say that it's a high rye recipe. So right. it's similar to what the original Basil Hayden was Correct. creating back in the day. Going back to Deadwood. Yeah. How great of a show was that? It was great. And you know, there's a movie coming out. They're doing a movie with the whole cast. No, yes. get out. They're doing a reunion movie. It's been about 10 years at least. Yeah, yeah. So, me and Scott could drink a decent amount of whiskey, and today we we have gone way past the halfway mark of the Basil Hayden. Yeah, wow. And at least probably a fifth of the old grand. I think that probably sort of gives away which one we like better. I mean- So, we drank half the Basil Hayden, but only- about an inch past the neck on the right. old granddad. And the next time we're together, I'm going to encourage Scott to we'll, make, we'll make Manhattan out, of out, of yeah. out of the old granddad 100 proof. Uh, but when you walk into almost any liquor store, Basil Hayden's going to be an option for you. And it's, my suggestion is I got it today for $39.95 and it's been on sale. 
that's had a sales sticker on it at my local liquor store for two and a half years. So I'm assuming that that's the price. But if, if you're paying forty five, forty eight for it, go get Blands. I mean, oh, at that man. point, you should do it one on Blands. We will Definitely. eventually. Blands yeah. is delicious. I haven't had Blands in a very long time, actually, yeah, because you forget about it. And it's also yeah. been, there's been a supply and demand issue yeah. for Blands. Yeah, there, has, there been. has been a resurgence of people drinking bourbon, and it's been good and bad. Good in the sense that a lot of new bourbons are hitting the market. Bad in the sense that Basil Hayden, which was traditionally from 1992 until 2014, always aged eight years. It said it right on the bottle. And if you're not familiar with Blanton's, Blanton's is the bottle that kind of looks like a hand grenade. Um, and it has horses Octagon on top. Octagon or something. Yeah, it has a horse on top. And the horses are different. Yeah, there's uh, different. There's a, they change poses. There's yeah. a letter. Uh, for each letter in the word Blanton's, there's a different horse. What's it mean? B, there's a B horse, an L oh, okay. horse, an A horse, an N. You're an A T. horse. <laughs> I, no, you're an A horse. <laughs> so, <laughs> Basil Hayden used to be eight years aged. Just like Knob Creek was nine, still is. Baker's was seven, and Basil Hayden was eight. And now at the top, it says artfully aged. Which, between you and me, is straight bullshit, all right? No, honestly, straight. I love Basil Hayden. I still yeah. think it tastes great. Yeah. But artfully aged? What am I, an asshole? So, legally, in order to not have an age statement on your bourbon, it has to be aged at least four years. If there's no age statement, you know it's over four years, but you don't know how much over four years. But my point is, artfully aged, it's a little bit of slap in the face. If your demand exceeded your supply and you had to start releasing it, you know, like at six, six years, years. yeah. Seven years. Let us know where you're at. Yeah, well, what, yeah, Tell well, us it's seven. Yeah. You know, be a grown-up about it. Don't just say uh, artfully aged like it's four and a half years. I think it's the same thing. Did I say that in this version of the podcast? Because we started <laughs> over four times. That's oh. not true. <laughs> Twice. Um, Once, really. Where uh, uh, Maker's Mark. They're drunk, too. Yeah. Yourself. <laughs> if you're not drinking. First of all, hold up. If you're not drinking bourbon or whiskey, listen to our podcast. I have to tell you. If you're not drinking, I think you're a flat earther. Unless you're in the car ride home. You can still have one in the car ride home. All right. No, I'm just kidding. That's a fact. No, I know. So, uh, the Maker's Mark got in trouble. When they were running out of product and they came up with an idea and they taste tested it too mm-hmm. and nobody could taste the difference. So they reduced it. I don't know what Maker's Mark is. It's somewhere over 80. Like maybe maybe it's 90. I don't even really know. I don't think it was like 86. And they lowered it to like, let's say 82. But when they came out and said that they were doing this, people went apeshit. They're like, oh, don't water down our whiskey. And what was even more surprising and probably better for the company, Maker's Mark, whoever makes it, um, Mark, right? Some guy named Mark? No, that's probably, not Maker's that's Mark. That's yeah, Mark Jennings. That's not true. They were willing to pay more for the same product just because it was rarer and not watered down. And, you know, because if I was Maker's Mark, I might have just done it. Just change the label. Right. And change the proofing on the label and see if anybody noticed it. Because there was a company who did it. Uh, Kraft Mac and Cheese changed their recipe and nobody noticed. They took out all like the uh, artificial ingredients. They just did it. They didn't tell anybody. And then six months later, they had a commercial with Craig Kilborn and then said, hey, we changed the recipe. Ha ha, you didn't notice. It was like they're trolling their own customers. (laughs) (laughs) So the sum of what we're really talking about today is we wanted to introduce to me Basil Hayden. If you have never tried it, please definitely go out and get a bottle. It's so worth your time. We're going to say low 40s at the liquor store. If you can get it in the low 40s, 
Go ahead and buy yeah. it. I, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Thirty nine to forty five. Go buy it. If it's if you if they're trying to sell it to you for fifty, there's some better options. Walk past it, and go, we'll tell you what those options. <laughs> and go are. get a bottle of Bullet Rye for like thirty five dollars. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's the best price. And so this, we're wrapping up our second podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, here's a whiskey to you. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash whiskey tangent and follow us on Twitter at whiskey tangent. You can follow me personally at that whiskey guy and follow Scott at giant cup of awesome spelled A-W-S-U-M just to be annoying. Hey. You can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.